You want it. You need it. It's what everyone's talking about. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Now, here's Kevin. You're listening to The Sports Fix. Tommy's here. I'm here. Aaron's here. Um, A little advice to start the show off, Tommy. Um, It's weekly advice. You have some advice? It's daily and weekly advice. Comes from somebody of note. Somebody you know well. Um, We both know to a certain degree. Um, He tweeted out just hours ago, hydrate 72 ounces per day, 10,000 steps minimum per day, seven hours of sleep, seven days, 49 hours per week, a sleep bank to zero budget. Not even really sure what that means. No devices near bed, 70 degrees in room, no sugar past 6 p.m., no social media past 8 p.m., read 50 books per year, no empty thought calories. Great life advice on being, it's a way, it's really the business of being healthy and happy. It's the game plan for life. Guess who tweeted that out? You? I did not. No? This is a person who in the past has written books uh, explaining to everybody how they can be happy. The business of happiness, Ted Leonsis himself tweeted that Transparent out. Transparent Ted. Just hours ago. It's actually very good advice. I have been very much trying to get 10,000 steps per day in. That's always a goal. The no sugar past 6 p.m. is, uh, it, it, it's actually for me, I've been trying to do it not past like 7 or will 8 p.m. stop? I'm being serious. Will you stop? I'm being totally I, serious. Will you stop it? I'm, stop this being is, serious here. I'm, this, this is, is good advice. Unbelievable. This is such great advice I mean, from Ted. What did he do? Did uh, Last night when, <laughs> when he locked his phone in his vault before 8 o'clock, did he go in the bed, climb in the bed, turn to his wife Myrtle and say, you know is what? Is that his wife's name? I have no idea. <laughs> Oh, God. You know, say I hope he's not married to say, Myrtle. Say, you know, you know, Myrtle, tomorrow I'm gonna tell people the right way to live. That's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna I'm gonna give them my secret plan. Well, he my does game that a lot, plan Tommy. for life. He this does that one, a lot. This one is uh, this one is so arrogant. Uh, it's not oh I don't think this is arrogant. Oh, it's is. I actually when I read it earlier t- this morning, I was like, hold on for a second, you know. I do try to drink a lot of water. Yeah. During the course. 72 ounces is a lot of water. Yeah, I know that. Okay. That, you know, that, that, that's like, you know, every bit of like four and a half to five water bottles a day, but I probably drink three normal sized, you know, 16 ounce, right? A normal water bottle, 16 ounces, Aaron. Please don't do this. Is it usually? I think it's 16 ounces. I drink yeah, four. I drink right. three or four of those. Nobody a day. cares how good you I, take care I of yourself. I do try to get to 10,000 steps a day. The sleep thing is the major problem for me, but I know he's right about this. You need seven hours of sleep a night, seven days a week, and it would make a big difference. And it's any now 70 degrees in the room. That's that's kind of warm. That's pretty warm. That's awfully warm. Um, you know what? The social media, no, no social media past 8 p.m. Well, then you can't. You, then you're pretty much uh, out of the in-game tweeting yes. business. Yes, you are. <laughs> well, he should be out of the in-game tweeting business. Look, the, the 10,000 steps thing. I used to do it, but then I realized this is absurd. I mean, I'd be. You sit, really? You got I, to 10,000 steps per day? I used to do it regularly, but I'd sit there. At 7 o'clock at night and say, oh, my God, I'm 3,000 steps short. What do I do? And then I go out and walk? 
That's ridiculous. Why is that ridiculous? That, that's absurd. That's, that's like that's obsessive. <laughs> well, there is. A, it's just an arbitrary number. Well, it's not an arbitrary number. Somebody has decided that somewhere in the neighborhood of ten thousand gives you an, some uh, level of cardio that you know you need at a minimum. So per does day. seven thousand. So does thirteen thousand. <laughs> well, it gives you more than zero. Yes. My point is, it's a, it's a. I mean, I just stopped doing that. I just said I'm not walking around the mall at eight thirty at night. <laughs> well, you don't have to walk around your mall. You, to get the mall, 10, you can walk steps. around that putts, you know, old putts community you live in. Yeah, walk but if it's really cold, have, but you don't have a dog, you know, it's just you walking around, which probably looks pretty weird. But you'd strike up conversations with people. Walk, you know, another. I don't like to talk to anybody when I walk. <laughs> I don't you're, like talking to anybody focused. when I walk. You're when I'm walking, in. I'm doing business. Yeah. I'm no, I'm not there. To, so, so I stopped doing that. I mean, I I just think that's absurd. The water thing just comes naturally to me. I've always drank. Uh, I look. This is ridiculous. Yeah. You is know. It? I mean, Ted. Ted. I mean, imagine telling everybody, <laughs> I know the way to live, well, he and does. I'm going to yeah. tell you the way to he live. He does that a lot. Oh, he wrote a book, is, the, business the Business of Happiness. Of, not only did he write a book, he lectured everybody he, on what it took to be happy. He's he's actually come out with a new version of it. I know you told me about yeah. that. That's crazy. Yeah, I wonder if this is in the book. You know, his his game plan for life. I wonder, well, he wasn't on the bench last night because it was a road game, but I wonder if he was as upset watching the game as I was last night. Can we start with the Wizards? It's been a long time. Yeah, go ahead. Since we started with the Wizards. God. And there isn't what a much waste of, of time. There isn't much of a reason these days to really even talk about the Wizards, but I'm watching the game last night, Tommy, and... We will, I, We do have to talk about Zion Williamson and what he did last okay. night. I hope you've at least watched the highlights. Yeah. That's all I saw because I turned – well, it got to 8 p.m. and Or I, I needed the seven hours, so I had to turn <laughs> the TV off. Um, but you know how uh, – you know that over the years I've said about Beal and Wall. There's this like sort of immature, casual way that they handle themselves sometimes on the floor during games that drives me nuts. Right. You know, it's one of the reasons I think that they've always, you know, been high turnover guys. You know, and you know what? I figured out why they do that. Why? They don't hydrate enough. They may not hydrate. They may not sleep and enough. I don't know if they get seven I hours. I guarantee sleep. you, they're not cutting off social no. media at eight p.m. So I don't think they're following Ted's game plan for life. That's part of the problem. So last night, you know, I'm watching this game, and I have not watched a lot of Wizards games this year. You know, I tune in every once in a while, and especially in the in the end when they're they're close and. You know, Beal's really a great scorer. He's turned into a high-level NBA scorer. I don't know where he is. He's very, he's very, he's a very valuable commodity that they should trade as soon as they can. Um, I'm not against that. Uh, (laughs) Beal right now is sixth in the league in scoring, averaging 27 and a half points per game. Um, which you know, he 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 can score. You know, when he first came into the league. People would say, well, he's just a jump shooter, and then you got to create ways to get him open. He's you got to screen for him to get him open. And I was like, no, he he doesn't have the best handle. He's got a, a bit of a loose handle, but you can see he's got a bit of a step back game. He's got a mid range game, and he can get to the rim. And he he's gotten so much better at all those things. Like he's really. You know he's a, he's a high level. I don't want to say elite. You know, hard. He's not Harden. You know, he's not Lillard. Could have had him um, for Harden. Yeah. Um, he's, Remember that he's not Doncic at this point. Um, but, <laughs> but, he's, but, but but he's really up there. Like I know. He, but, but he is. But go do, go ahead. Do you remember last week 
his diatribe yeah. ag- against against his teammates. Yeah. How funny was that? Was that he was the old man on the porch I know. screaming at the cloud. That was so hilarious. Well, to be fair, nobody screamed at him when he was a young player. Most of that was directed towards John Wall. I know that, but but just the idea Beals that some, all, somebody that age would be would be bemoaning the young players. Right. Uh, what is he? Twenty six, twenty seven. Uh, Beal. He's not twenty seven yet, is he, Aaron? He's twenty. He's probably twenty five. Okay. I'm going to guess that he's twenty five years. I old. I mean, I I got a real kick out of him complaining about six. 26. Twenty-six. The younger players and, and and their and their practice habits and their playing habits. I mean, he literally was. He he was he was a boomer. He yeah. was okay, boomer. <laughs> well, somebody tweeted that to him uh, last night. I hope he didn't respond if it was after eight p.m. Yes. <clears throat> so that that's not the way to live. I'm watching this game last night, and they're 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 beating Miami. You know, again, you know, the Heat are the second best team in the in the Eastern Conference. I know that, but but they didn't win. They, they didn't win. They they beat them a couple weeks ago. Blew them out a couple weeks ago wow. at home. Um, they've actually been. Uh, remember early in the season, I said, you know, they're actually better than they think they are. They are. They're better than they think they are. And they're not. A, they're not a terrible team. And and on nights they've been really close. They're one in five now in games. They're going to wind up with twenty six wins this year. They're they're one in five in in games this year. Um, in five points or le- losses, five points or less. Anyway. Um, at the end of the game, at the end of regulation, it's tied up. And he grabs a rebound. He's got the ball, seven and a half seconds to go. And here he comes up the court like there's 24 on the shot clock. <laughs> Casual, I'm like, oh, God, here comes something that's not going to be good. Because Wall and Beal both, this has not been their time, crunch time, over no. the years. They do not close well. They haven't. For the they're, most they've part, had, Wall had, they've had moments. moments. They've yeah. had moments, but for the most part, if you've been a big Wizards fan like I've been for the last several years, where you've actually had a couple of seasons to be excited about, this is a, a pain in the ass port portion of the game because you know what's coming—something that doesn't end in shot made game one. But this was last night, really galling. Like I'm watching him, and he's like either completely oblivious to how much time's left. Or he's just doing like it is. A, there's a certain oblivious. He, he's oblivious. Walls oblivious in these spots a lot of time to clock to defenders to situation. It's almost like they're trying to be too school, too cool for school. Who who said that about them? Somebody said that about them. I don't know. Don't you remember somebody said about Wall or about Beal that they're too cool for school? No, I don't. It's not that memorable a comment that I would remember who said it. Or was that Gruden who said that about uh, Deshaun Jackson? I can't remember now. Anyway, somebody had that uh, that, that well, but, old man boomer comment. But, but, but wouldn't the coach... Have prepared him for that moment. I mean, well, wouldn't I Scott Brooks? I don't know. Brooks isn't have very good prepared in these him for that either. moment. No, he's not. Tommy, he doesn't get the shot off before the buzzer goes off. He never got a shot off, and he had seven seconds. He had plenty of time, plenty of time to get to get to a spot. They had plenty of time to run something real quickly. But I could see it in the way he was handling the ball coming up. I'm like, this is going to be a bad shot, and then he didn't even get it off. He got it off after the horn. I mean, I'm sorry, but that is immaturity. That's a casual approach. It's it's lackadaisical. It's oblivious. It's bad it's, coaching, it's, too. It, it's, no, that's on the player. I'm sorry, that's on the player. A coach does not need to tell you he had a timeout left. The coach, and n- next time he's going to probably take the timeout to say, hey, guys, just so you know, uh, we're at seven seconds, yeah. and we'd like to shoot the ball before the end of the game. 
And I, I and then at the end of the game in overtime, Miami went up one thirty four to one twenty nine with ten seconds to go in the game. It's a five point lead. You know, there's still a chance down five with 10 seconds to go. I mean, you don't have a great chance, but it's a two-possession game. Yes. You get it down there with some urgency, get up a shot, get, up a, shot, get a quick foul. foul, you know, after trying for a steal. Who knows? Yeah. So the ball gets brought up the court and passed to Beal on the wing. And he's dribbling the ball around looking for to make a pass and makes the pass to Davis Bertans, who catches it and fires up the shot with about three seconds to go. It hits the rim. You know, by the time it comes off the rim and it's a miss, the game's over. I'm just I'm watching this. I'm like, are you trying to lose? Maybe that's the goal last night. Like we played real competitively, but you know, Beal had the the thing last week where he went off a little bit, wants to be on a good team, wants them to compete better, all of that. He doesn't get a shot up at the end of regulation and then in overtime just sort of dribbles the clock out to a certain degree without trying to win down five. I I I and I I think this is the kind of an organization led by um, business of happiness himself. They really tend to um, build up some of the people that they have into things that they're not. Really? I had no idea. <laughs> and to that extent, they're very hesitant to sort of make them accountable or be critical or really coach him. You know, Scott Brooks is a player's coach. I like Scott Brooks a lot. And I think he But he's not he's not But look, I but I guarantee you coach. I guarantee you one of the reasons they didn't want Randy around is cuz Randy would yes. would have let him have it. Look Something would have happened there. They keep talking about changing the culture. Okay? This is not the coach you want to change the culture. He can score though, man. Beal can really score. He is a tough tough check. I mean, I you cannot deny that. If you've watched him, this is a year in which he has really taken, and of course, he's also the number one option, clearly, um, as he was last year without Wall when Wall wasn't playing. But there's something about his game. He's, he's physically more mature now. Um, he's more aggressive. He gets to the rim. He's got – he closes near the rim – He's got a lot to his offensive game. He really does. I just can't believe in some of those situations how clueless he appears to be. Here's what I can't believe. Can you find Ted's uh, uh, plan, game plan for life again and read them? Um, you mean the tweet that he put out? Yeah. Um, if you could find that for me again, I, I'd appreciate <laughs> it. <clears throat> Hold on. I'll have it here for you in a second. Now, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of curious – here it is. About ready? It. Hydrate okay. 72 okay. ounces per day, 10,000 steps minimum per day, seven hours of sleep times seven days, 49, 49 hours per week, a sleep bank to zero budget, no devices near bed, 70 degrees in room, no sugar past 6 p.m., no social media past 8 p.m., read 50 books per year, no empty thought calories. What do you think Beal was going through? Did he have an empty thought last night? Well, here's my question to you. Do you, for one thing, for Ted, isn't watching the Wizards part of your game plan for life? Yes. Wouldn't you put that there on there somewhere, watching the Wizards? I guess maybe, you know what that qualifies as? Empty calorie thoughts. 
that's what that qualifies. So my question to you is, why do you continue to watch? I, I don't watch every game like I used to. Not this year. This year, it's really not worth it. I mean, I mean, it's getting in the way of you reading the fifty books. I know that's that true. you need or, or your I would sleep. A- you know what? I would ask him. You know, not everybody. Um, a lot of people have to work. A lot of people have long days. Do you want them to watch your hockey and basketball team or read a book instead? That's a good point. Because it's, I would it's ask, hard to fit it all in. And I would ask him this. I would hope on his list of 50 books would be Hail Victory, the oral history <laughs> of the Washington <laughs> well, Redskins. It's available on Amazon for a nickel. So You can get I, it for a nickel. I, I would hope that would be on his list, at, at least, at the very least. It is good advice. All of these things, are several of these things I've actually been trying to do, the, the steps per day, the hydrating per day, the sleep. Sleep's really impossible. Anybody that's got to get up early for work, uh, and I'm one of those people. I have to get up very early for work. It's hard, especially if you're a sports fan and you want to watch the teams that Ted owns. Yes. It's hard to get seven hours that of is, sleep. That is, that I is don't, hard. I don't to understand do. this. Uh, personally, now, I, I don't mind when it's 45 degrees in my room. I, during the winter, like doors and windows open. Now, it doesn't go well, go over well with my spouse right. and with other people in the house, but I like sleeping in a cold room. But 70 well, degrees you know is what? awfully warm. I, I like... I like th- no sugar past six p.m. It's hard. I, you're going to tell me that he hasn't had you know an ice cream cone at Capital One Arena uh, in, the, looks, in, the, in between the second good. and third period. He looks at a pretty. Game? He looks he pretty does. good. He's lost a lot of weight. He actually looks yeah. well. He looks so good that he doesn't look that good. You know what I'm saying? Like the head is the biggest part of his body, but he's clearly lost a yeah. lot of weight. Um, yeah. You know, uh, I mean, I, I the seventy degree thing I kind of appreciate and, and, and agree with because I sleep in the nude. So, I mean, no, you don't. What do you mean? No, I don't. I, I know you don't. Yes, I do. Well, I don't know. For, uh, yeah, exactly, how would you know? But I, there's no chance that you sleep in the nude. I, as as no God chance. is my witness, I can last see you night, in a t-shirt. And, last night, yeah. I slept in the Did nude. You really? Of course the, the, I do. Well, that's because you're by yourself right yes! now. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's right. Liz is out of town. Yeah. All right. Um. So let's, uh, let, real quickly, so. And the sugar thing is easy for me because you don't eat sugar. Be, yeah, because it's I, I, I cut me. out soda yeah. uh, I, I a year ago. Yeah, I don't drink soda. So I, I don't drink coffee. I don't drink soda. I don't eat sweets. So the sugar thing's easy for me. I think I need to cut back on. Definitely, I should be cutting back on coffee. I think I have on average three cups of coffee to, uh, a day. But I think there's some kind of uh, there's a the study. Co- coffee can be good for you. Yeah, it can now. You know, I am not a black coffee guy. That's really healthy for you. I always go a little bit of milk, usually like skim milk and maybe a half of one sugar I'll put in there. But um, I do drink a lot of coffee. That's And tea. I drink a lot of tea, too. Next podcast, I want you to come up with your seven steps <laughs> for better living, and I'll come up with mine. Well, I can tell you what number one would be. What? Right now, don't gamble. <laughs> that would be my number one. I don't one. think so. No, gambling gambling is fun. Uh, my number see, you know what? Seriously, for this guy, Bookie Ted. Yes, that's to right. Not, to not, Ace Rothstein. Yeah, I mean, all of these things are great, Ted. I should reply and don't gamble. Yeah. <laughs> that would be the best thing. Because he doesn't understand how lethal it is. And how dangerous it is. And it's, it's well, whatever. Um, Zion Williamson last night, 
I turned the TV off at the end of the third quarter. I'm like, this wasn't worth watching. No. He had five points. He didn't look like he was really ready. And, and I was sort of expect. I wasn't expecting, you know, much more. And then I missed the 17 points in a row in the fourth quarter with that building. And you know, New Orleans is not a basketball town. No, I've told you before how invisible the Pelicans Completely. are. Completely. But that place was packed and it was wild. Have you watched the highlights yes. of him knocking down each shot? Yes, I have. First of all, they didn't guard him. The four three-pointers, on three of them, no one's within six feet of them. And on the last one, LaMarcus Aldridge is sort of running at him, but not really defending it. Um, So when he scored his 17th point, which was a free throw to cut the lead to one, uh, San Antonio went down on the other end, scored. New Orleans called a timeout with five minutes and 23 seconds left in the game. He has scored 17 consecutive points for his team. He came out of the game, and he never went back into the game. Load management, baby. It's load management. It's it's minutes restriction right now on him. I mean, that had to be frustrating if you were, you know, a, a Pelicans fan. You're in the game. It's that it, you cut a big lead down to three because of him, and you're probably sitting there going, "Oh, well, he's gonna come back." And he's just getting a quick rest. Never came back into the game. Yeah, Pelicans fans, they need to count every minute they can of Zion Williamson because as soon as he can be out the door. He's out the door. Well, it's gonna it's gonna be a few years. <clears throat> so so they're gonna they should value every minute they get of him. So you know, last year at this time, he was really the reason that college basketball had a bit of a renaissance. You know, it sort of came back a little bit in terms of being popular once again in the regular season. Tommy, last year, remember, college yes. basketball has been a March sport for a long time now. Yeah, and last year people were paying attention to Duke and Zion Williamson. Oh yeah, and from the start. Um, People outside of college basketball. No doubt. And he was clearly the most uh, he, he was the most visible and the most anticipated draft pick you know in his NBA debut since LeBron. It's not an exaggeration to say that. And so it took a while because he got injured in the preseason. But there's been a lot of debate about him as to whether or not he's going to be great. I loved Ja Morant, and I, we had the conversation on the podcast last year, and I said, like, I, I think I would take Ja Morant if I had the number one pick, and he's playing very well yes, as a rookie. Yes, he is. But, um, but I'm watching him last night, and, man, there is something about him. He is he's 280 pounds, but he's so quick. He's got a second jump that is as immediate and as explosive as any you'll ever see. He does look and play a little bit like Barkley, you know, when you're thinking about somebody who's 6'6 and, th- and that big and strong, but he's really super athletic. I'm actually uh, really interested to see what kind of player he turns into. He's got to stay healthy, and, you know, he, he didn't last year right. at Duke for the entire season, and he's already been injured as a rookie, but he's going to be an exciting player to watch and you know, a lot of these younger players, you know, because it's not going to be LeBron here for that much longer, even though he's really good. Um, but anyway, that's enough on Zion Williamson, unless you got something else. You didn't watch it. I didn't watch it either. I turned it off, but right. I did watch the highlights. Right. I, I watched the highlights. So, yeah, anything else on that? I got nothing else on Zion Williamson. Okay. I <clears> would <throat> hope, I would like to see, I, I love New Orleans. So I would like to see the Pelicans become relevant. I'd like to see – I would have loved to have seen Anthony Davis stay there and been a teammate of of Zion Williamson. Such a great city. 
It really is. <laughs> it's such a great city. All right, a uh, quick word about mybookie.ag, then we'll get to a few more topics today, today including some Redskins uh, news <clears throat> that Tommy hasn't had a chance to weigh in on, nor have I, from yesterday when we missed the podcast. Uh, mybookie.ag is a great place to bet if you're looking for a place to bet. Be careful if you're going to wager uh, on sports uh, and you're going to jump into uh, that uh, world, uh, you got to be careful. Uh, moderation, Tommy, that should have been part of Ted's advice. Do everything, um, but do it with moderation. Uh, fast payouts, best promotions, 24-7 customer service at mybookie.ag. A reliable way to bet, quality lines, multiple ways to wager, straight bets, parlays, teasers, in-game action, futures bets, they've got it all. If you join right now, MyBookie will match your deposit halfway, all the way up to $1,000. That means if you deposit $2,000, you'll get an extra $1,000 in free money to play with. Go to mybookie.ag, use my promo code to activate that offer. My promo code is Kevin DC. That's K-E-V-I-N-D-C. Mybookie.ag, Kevin DC. All right. Um, yesterday we didn't do a podcast, but we really did talk a lot about Morgan Wooten, Tommy, on the Tuesday show. Um, and we went through our experiences with Morgan and a lot about Morgan's life when it was announced that he was being taken home to be cared for by hospice. And he passed away as most of you know, um, by now on Tuesday night. Um, so we won't do that today. If you missed sort of our discussion and we had a, a lengthy conversation about Morgan, you can just go back to Tuesday's show. Obviously our prayers uh, are with all of the family and our sympathies go out to the family. I had Pete Strickland on the show, on the radio show yesterday. Pete was a um, player for Morgan, a coach for Morgan, a longtime college coach in multiple places. And Pete's always been a really good storyteller and a really good memory bank for everything that oh, is yeah. Morgan Wooten. Absolutely. Because he was there for so much of it. And I think it, he he either said it or a caller said it that that Morgan and Jack Bruin are up in, in heaven starting a basketball camp <laughs> right now. Um, and, uh, and, and he had an incredible life, you know, an incredible life. I looked for... Uh, yesterday when I got home, I looked for, because I have some of those Lunch with a Legend uh, broadcasts that we did, I couldn't find the Morgan one. I, I, it might be somewhere in my house. I was looking for it because I wanted to listen to it because it was really good. Yes. Um, I did find the Sonny Jurgensen one. So okay. I'm going to be able to make a copy of that Thank to you. give to you because you wanted to, to have that. So Thanks. I did find that one, and I found a couple of, of the others. But I couldn't find the one for Morgan. I'll keep looking, though. But um, anyway, what a life. Uh, what an impact on just so many people. And as we talked about the other day, it wasn't just the, the players or the coaches. It was um, his students and a lot of people like me who went to his camps um, and Morgan Wooten uh, had really, um, you know, a basketball camp, summer camp that became so important to so many people in this area that loved basketball and played basketball. And I can't tell you the stories that we talked about and the stories I talked about on radio yesterday about that camp, how many hundreds of tweets um, I got in text messages from people I know, you know, sharing the same stories of having participated in Morgan Wooten's um, summer basketball camp. It was Morgan Wooten and Joe Gallagher, right. the great coach from St. John's as well. You know, that you, you know, you forget, but, you know, in your formative years, when you're young, you know, you have these experiences, whether it's coaches or teachers or, 
you know, that some t- you, you you just remember so many things about that experience. And all of us that went to that camp, and I'm sure his players have countless more, obviously, stories, but it, it was influential. It made an impact. You just don't see, you don't see anywhere anybody have uh, an impact as far as he did, as far as wide as he did by staying home. You know, it's it's like basically the, the the local hardware store that the whole country knows about that never became Home Depot. They never branched out. They never they never he never went to coach at a big time college program. He was a high school coach in the same place his entire career and had such an impact that it was nationwide, but he never left. I mean, that that's so rare. Yeah. Um I uh Somebody asked me the other day to tell the story that I've told before, um, the story about being at that camp and being coached by Derek Wittenberg. Do you remember me telling you this story? Yes. It went, it's been a while since I told it, right? Yes. Oh, a long time. Okay, so I'll tell it real quickly. Um, so at one of those summer camps, I mean, I don't know, I'm 12 years old, maybe, something like that. Derek Wittenberg is a senior, going into his senior year at DeMatha. He's one of the best high school players in America. Ended up going to NC State, was on their national championship team. Um, But the story is this, Tommy. That camp, uh, you get placed on a team, and one of the the people who coach you are the players at St. John's and DeMatha. They're the counselors. And Derek Wittenberg was my coach. And we went – they set up the camp where you would have a first half and a second half, and then the two – half champions uh, would play each other on the final day of camp for the championship. The first half was the first week. The second week was the second week of camp. We went 0-10 in the first half of the season. (laughs) And then midway through camp, a guy shows up from New Jersey. His name was Brent. I cannot remember his last name for the life of me. But Brent was really good, and so they put Brent on our team. We were 0-10. And in the second half, we went 9-1. Because Brent was awesome. You know, Brent was like, you know, I I don't know. I forget how old. I was probably 12 or 13. And Brent's already like 6'4". And he's dominant. And so on the last day of camp, Tommy, we had to play a playoff game with the other team that went 9-1 in the second half to advance to the championship game later on that day. And the playoff game was held right at the beginning of camp. And the whole gym was watching. Everybody in camp was watching. And Brent from New Jersey, we had the ball at midcourt, two seconds to go, down by a point. I throw it into him, and he heaves up a half-court shot, and it banks in at the buzzer, and we win the game. Look at me while I'm telling you this story. I, I need, okay. I need, I need some facial feedback okay. here. Well, you're in your phone, so, like, you're, re- like you're you're ignoring me. I'm doing some research. Good to, God. to respond. <laughs> well, but while I'm talking, look at me. <laughs> My God. Okay, dear. <laughs> okay, dear. This is what I've had to deal with over the years. Sometimes I'm telling a story and I look over at Tom and he's got his glasses off and he's got his phone right up to his eyes like he's not paying attention at all. But I'm sorry, honey. Um, okay. Okay. So anyway, so anyway, we win the second half. We lost later that day in the championship game. That was the story from 1980 or whatever year it was. 1979. So fast forward 30 years later. This is 10 years ago, something like that. I'm at Mazza Gallery on Christmas Eve. 
And I'm walking around, and out of one of the stores walks Derek Wittenberg. And I noticed him, and I said, Derek Wittenberg? And he said, yeah. And I went up to him, and I said, my name's Kevin Sheehan. I said, you'll never remember. You coached me. You know, he probably gets that from, from you know, how many different people. And, um, and I said, it was such a great experience. I'll never forget it. We had this guy on the team, and he came in halfway through camp, and, you know, we were playing for, you know, to get into the championship, and he just stops me mid-sentence. And he goes, Brad. Was it Brad? And I said, I think it was Brent. I think his name was Brent. He said, when he hit the half-court shot at the buzzer, <laughs> and I said, yes! And I'm thinking to myself, oh, my God, that's Derek Wittenberg, who won a national championship at NC State, right? And it goes to show you that even that camp impacted him. It also really goes to show you that you never forget a half-court shot at the buzzer <laughs> you know, to win a championship. And he said, didn't we win the championship? I said, no, we actually just got us into the championship, and we lost later that day. Anyway, we ended up – we sat there and we talked for 15 minutes, but – um, like you just, those are the stories that, you know, you came out of that particular camp. That one though was for me, like that was crazy that he, that somebody like him would remember that. Okay. <laughs> I'm glad I, I'm glad I stopped looking at my phone and looked up at you. So that wasn't a good story. No, it's a, it's a good story. It's an excellent, it's better story than I've got. Aaron, had I told you that story before? I had not heard that story before. Did you think it was a good story? It was, it was a decent story. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> was he looking at you when you were saying it? Who? Was he? Was Aaron looking into Aaron, your eyes? Aaron has some of the same qualities you have. He's in his phone the entire time okay. during the show. Um, let me ask you a question because I was doing <laughs> some research. Ask me a question. Uh, uh, on, on this. this better be good with all the research you were doing during my story. What if Morgan <laughs> Wooten had coached University of Maryland? Uh, How different would things have been? I don't know. Lefty told me the story once that uh, when he was being interviewed by uh, uh, Ke- uh, Jim Kehoe. Yes. Yeah. Uh, who was the athletic? Kehoe was the AD. Yeah, the AD, AD yeah. at the time. Uh, basically, uh, he said, uh, he, this, is what Ted, this is what Lefty said for quote, uh, Kehoe said, we want you, you're the guy we want, but I've got to know tonight. Lefty said, coach, I just got knocked out of the Final Four when he was at Davidson. Elite Eight, yeah. Yeah, uh, he said Final Four. He said, uh, Kehoe said, you do what you want to do, but you're going to make a decision tonight. He said, you and Joyce go downstairs. The bed is all made up for you. Lefty stayed at his house that night and spend the night. But when you wake up in the morning, you've got to give me your answer. Or we'll hire Morgan Wooten. Yeah. Morgan told us that story. Yeah. I mean, yeah. how different would history have been? I mean, ev- everything in basketball in this town would have been differently. It would have been different. <clears throat> no lefty. Morgan Wooten, not at DeMatha for all, for we're talking 35, 40 years. I think Morgan told us the story in that lunch with a legend that either he was coming back from that Alhambra tournament in Cumberland or on his way or whatever, but he was under the impression that he was going to get the job. Yeah. You know, and then he was told that they were going to hire Lefty because Lefty decided to take it. Yeah. Because it was a little bit more money <laughs> than, yeah. than he was making at, <laughs> at Davidson. Davidson. Yeah. And and remember, they sold him, Kehoe sold him on, it's going to be you, Ted, Ted Williams, Williams, and Vince, Vince Lombardi as the three new coaches in town. And he was right. <laughs> he was that right. was a sales pitch. All three of those coaches came in in 1969. Yeah. 
The other interesting Morgan Wooten thing is uh, he was offered the NC State job before Jim Valvano. Yes, he was. And he, and they wanted him. Norm Sloan had retired. Norm Sloan won a national championship right. at NC State. Norm Sloan didn't retire. He actually took the job at Florida. And I remember at the time, Norm Sloan said, the pressure of the ACC is too much. I'm going to go coach at Florida where they care about football first. Mm-hmm. Pretty much. And he was offered that job, and Morgan didn't take it. Morgan always said the only job that he really would never have turned down was the Maryland job. That was his dream job, and he never got he never got offered it. No. Then <clears throat> that was the closest it came because it never came close when Lefty, you know, was ushered out uh, in the wake of the Len Bias uh, death because Chancellor Slaughter at the time decided, you know, to make a unilateral hire, and he went to Baltimore and hired Hi, Bob, Wade. Bob Wade from from right. Dunbar. And uh, and a lot of people at that moment wanted uh, Morgan to take over the yeah. job. I don't know what how how what kind of college coach he would have been. I'm sure he would have been a really good college coach. I'm, I think and a, I, I think and a he massive would have been. winner in college too. I think I think he would have been, but uh, I, he has such a unique legacy at at at, at Damatha High School. Yeah, it's it's so there's I don't know if there's a coach in the country that really has that kind of a legacy. <clears throat> Staying at home at the local high school for all those years. Well, I think there are a lot of those high school lifers, but not but with his. Not with his. Not winning. with his profile. Right. Yeah. Not with his national profile. That's right. Yeah, I think that's the big difference. Right? Yeah. Is that probably every city? Well, how many every, coaches like that are in the basketball hall of fame? There's just three high school basketball yeah. coaches in the hall of fame. Yeah. But um, the uh, you know, every town, every city has probably a lifer high school coach that is a legend in that area, but nobody with the national profile right. of That's Morgan the difference and DeMatha. I mean, we had a football coach in my town that coached there for 50 years, and he impacted a lot. He impacted me, and I didn't even play football. Uh, so, but but he's not known outside of that region. You know, no, nobody nobody's ever heard of him outside that region. So, I mean, Morgan is, it's, yeah, I mean, like I said, like, you know, you talked about the people who co- he came to, to uh, speak at his camp, national superstars, oh, NBA, you know, yes. champions. I yes. mean, um, yeah, I mean, you know, th- there was, uh, there there's a great football coach for, for many years uh, in this town and it was Bob Malloy, you know, Bob Malloy is one of the winningest football coaches in the history of, of high school football. You know, uh, Malloy, who, you know, last coached at Good Counsel, um, but uh, he's a well-known national coach as well. It's, it's, it speaks to um, just how many great coaches and, and how great high school sports are in this area, and really that league in particular, um, as we've talked about before. Um, so one other quick thing before from that I would have talked about yesterday that Aaron and I probably just want to talk about briefly, and you'll find interesting because... I'll be the judge of that. Mark Turgeon did something the other night in Maryland's comeback win at Northwestern that I have not seen him do. Um, I and I, Aaron, I don't even know if this got a lot of discussion yesterday. I talked about it on radio, but so they were getting their ass kicked in the first half at Northwestern. Yeah. This would have been an ugly loss, and the Maryland fan base, of course, you know, on Twitter, just all over him. I mean, relentless. Like this is it. He's done. You know, you lose at Northwestern. Well, a couple of things real quickly. Northwestern's better than I thought. I watched that's the first time I've seen him play. They got a kid, um, Spencer, 
Aaron, who was a four uh, a four year lacrosse player at Loyola, yeah, he almost wow. He, he thought about going to Maryland. They didn't take him. I wish they had. Yeah. He can play. Yeah. Um. And in watching Northwestern, you could you could see that they've got some players, and they nearly beat Illinois. They nearly beat Indiana. They had a chance against Michigan State. They've been really close, and they were up fourteen against Maryland at halftime, and it was ugly. And Turgeon did something in the second half that I have not seen him do. He is very much Tommy a micromanaging kind of coach. You know, he likes every half-court possession to have a, you know, a an organized set, a play called, you know, some sort of offense being run. Even so even though sometimes I'm not in a big fan of some of what they try to do, especially against zone, um in the second half, I'm sitting there watching and I'm like, "Wow. He's basically running what we call uh, in sort of you know travel AAU basketball five out offense. In it's the easiest you know you have a couple of rules, but all five players are basically outside of the three point line. You got no low post threat. Nobody's in the middle of the floor, and you may, and you let your playmakers play. You let them make plays. You know you get Anthony Cowan going downhill. You know the, occasionally there's a couple of screen and and roll or pick and pops with Stick Smith. And Anthony Cowan, especially late in that game, there was, and it worked because right now Jalen Smith is probably their best three-point shooter. Um, Wiggins got it going the other night. But he did something that was, to me, very uncharacteristic of Mark Turgeon, who really likes to be in control. Even though I would personally disagree sometimes with some of the stuff they do run, he wants to run stuff. He wants to micromanage every offensive possession. Now, they've run more this year, you know, and they've scored more in transition, especially earlier in the year. Second half, five out, make plays. Anthony, Aaron, make plays, take shots. Don't worry about it. Let's play loose. Let's see what happens. And what happened was their most productive half of the season. They scored 51 points. They shot it confidently. There was no hesitation. They weren't running plays where they were passing on shots because the thought is the offense and what they're running is going to get a better shot, you know, and make the defense work a little bit harder. They've got talent and he let the talent spread it out and just go. And Anthony Cowan, forget his stats. He was two for ten. He made play after play after play. Aaron Wiggins made plays. Ayala made plays. He played basically six guys in the second half. That was it. Did Cowan even come out in the second half? I don't even know if he came out. I don't think so. If it was, it was just very briefly. There were some criticism about that. He played him too much. I don't buy into that though. Um, I didn't. I don't know if um, if I, I was looking for his press conference on YouTube yesterday. There wasn't one, so they didn't. They must not have taped it. Because I wanted to hear if he talked about that, but it was a real change in his philosophy. So should this be a philosophy moving forward? Well, I think you do. I think the players, you know, at times look like they're trying to run stuff the way he wants it run. They're well scouted. It's a it's a league that scouts well. It ends up more times than not in an uncomfortable situation. Look, he runs a lot of good stuff, too. He does. And anybody that thinks otherwise, you guys are wrong. But I... I just thought, you know, I, I, you know, Tommy, I see that at the youth level a lot because you don't have a lot of practice time. And so there are certain things you can run without a lot of practice. You know, five out, 
couple of rules you have in terms of the spacing and in terms of movement. And then, you know, if you really need something, you get a high ball screen with the floor spread out. And that's basically what they did. And these guys were making plays. And they were making plays, and they looked very comfortable, and they were shooting in rhythm, and the ball was moving. I mean, you want to move the ball. The ball wants to move or should move. But, um, yeah, I think I, I would think if he did that intentionally – that the results would make him think, you know what, I need my guys to play confidently, and they looked confident but, playing that way. Okay, let me ask you this. This is the way these kids were raised. A lot of them. A lot of although, them were, I mean, were raised Anthony, to play Anthony that way. Anthony Cowan was really coached well. The St. Okay. John's coach at the time, but for the who's most at IMG part, now, was an excellent coach. For the most part, this is how they were raised. What's going to best serve you in the second half of the tournament against a Michigan State team? Well, you got to do both of those things. But you need to do what's what suits your talent the best. That's what you need to do. There are teams, I'm sure, where I mean, I've seen some of his teams that haven't been extraordinarily talented that, you know, need, you know, a, a, a slower pace, more structure, the whole thing. What I watched in the first half the other night was an attempt to run for certain their zone offense was terrible when Northwestern was in zone. And then the man stuff, it just seemed like it was scouted well. It was resulting in, you know, four shots, hesitant, hesitant shots. And I wouldn't have thought to do what he did in the second half and never would have thought he would have done it, you know. But they also got a little bit of a break because Northwestern didn't play as much zone in the second half. They weren't sagging as much, especially when Wiggins and they started to knock down some shots. So they were out and it allowed the floor to sort of open up a little bit. I... I don't know what the right answer is. I think the right answer, you know, still with them more times than not, is play really good defense and see if you can turn your good defense into easy offense. You know, but it's hard to do that in the Big Ten. The, the Big Ten, very few teams let you just fast break. Yeah, um, it's a tough league. I, I think it's a tougher league than the ACC. Oh, much tougher, top yeah. to bottom, right now. And it was last year too. Uh, I, I think it's going to be one of those years. And I know people are going to think that I am way too optimistic that when these teams get out of the Big Ten and get into the tournament, at least the first game or two, it's going to seem easy. It's going to seem much easier. They're really being prepared, I think, for March. I could be wrong. They could get 10 teams in and and just two go to the Sweet 16 or three go to the Sweet 16. But I think that the grinded, you know, tough, physical, very good defensive league, very well-scouted league and well-coached league, I think that Maryland and some of these teams are going to have it a little bit easier in March, at least for the first two rounds, you know, unless they just get, you know, a terrible matchup or have a terrible night, which of course is always a possibility in the tournament. But I was really impressed with what he did in the second half and what we, and the, and beating Northwestern is not like, you know, oh my God, what a big win on the road, but it was a win on the road and it would have been a terrible loss. Yeah. It, it's what, what if, what if, the alternative right. would have, would have been far more disastrous than the benefit of winning. I think that's true. Uh, so, I'm excited the about the game. The cost of losing would have been far more more than 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 the uh, profit of winning. I'm excited about the game Sunday, Aaron, at Indiana. It's the one place Maryland has not won yet in the Big Ten as a Big Ten member. They won there in an ACC Big Ten game several years ago when they were an ACC member. They went to Bloomington and won um, at Assembly Hall. They have not won there as a Big Ten ga- uh, team. Indiana plays Michigan State tonight. So that's a huge game for Indiana and for Michigan State. Michigan State's in first place. They've only lost once. 
Um, and so maybe Maryland will catch them coming off that with shorter rest. And But it would be uh, huge for Maryland to go in there win on Sunday. And then, is the game after that Iowa at home? Yeah, that's a Thursday night game, I think. That's, ter- that's starting to look like a huge game in league. I'm going to that game. That'll be the first game that the students are back for. Yeah. Iowa's going to be ranked in the top 15 more likely than not. Maryland, you know, is going to be no worse than where they are now, even if they lose Sunday more likely than not. They could be a couple of spots below. Um, if they win on Sunday, you know, they could vo- they could really take a jump, you know, well in- easily into the top 15. And that'll be a big-time matchup in the league because the league is still sort of open. You know, Michigan State looks really good. They've got one loss, but they played a ton of, of home games. And they have their toughest games are still to come. Um, but anyway, all right, that's enough on that. You want to get to a, a Redskins topic? Yeah, I'm kind of curious what it is that you're – because I haven't well, noticed I, – I, I wanted to talk oh, about the okay. stadium thing first. Okay. The report that came out yesterday. In the Post. Uh, yes, in the Post about Dan Snyder meeting with Maryland legislators and suggesting that if they legalize sports betting and it can be available at his new stadium, that the stadium would go at the FedEx field site, which is what you've been predicting now for a while, is that no, no other jurisdiction will have him and that if he does build, it'll be on the site where the stadium exists now. Yeah. Now, again, this you know I'm not telling you that's what I know. I'm just basically telling you that that that's the way that the politics add up in this, and I'm more convinced than ever that it's dead in the district. I mean, it really is. Why? Because of Jack Evans. That's a big part of it. It, it was fifty-fifty with Jack Evans. Uh, I spoke to somebody who's very plugged in in the district recently, and uh, save for the mayor, there's just no sentiment for it. Plus, that neighborhood. Uh, the opposite, the pushback they're getting from people in that neighborhood is so strong, so strong against a Redskins stadium. No matter what the poll of fans say, the people who who live around the stadium and that neighborhood has changed a lot from the last time they played football at RFK. It's a much nicer neighborhood. Yeah, well, yeah. And, and and they know how to mobilize. Yeah, you know, there there's a lot there's a lot of lobbyists, politicians, and and right. and work and. And uh, political workers who live in that neighborhood now, right. and they know how to fight these things. So I just think the district is is all but pretty much dead. Uh, I never took Virginia seriously for a number of reasons, uh, you know. And uh, I just think he's like Cook, like we talked about before. Jack Kent Cook had three Super Bowls, and and people like Cook, and he couldn't get the stadium built he wanted in the district. He couldn't get the stadium built he wanted in Virginia. He had to settle for the location where they are now because he wanted to get it built before he died. Right. And it turns out he didn't get it finished before he passed away. So, uh... (laughs) What were you saying? You dog, you. (laughs) Tommy was talking, so I took my phone and just put it up and blocked my face so he couldn't see me. Yeah. That's what he does to me you all see, the time. You see, it's easier for me because I fully expect Kevin's not listening. <laughs> I always listen. I just I just I, operate under the premise I, that Kevin's not listening. Serious question. Who's a better listener, you or me? Me. You really believe that? Oh, 100%. Oh, my God, it's not even close. Oh, my God. I can't tell close. you how many times you've said something <laughs> that I had just said <laughs> Five minutes before. Vice, it's same same goes for you. The only thing I will say is that I have asked a question of a guest, 
as a follow-up that you had already asked. <laughs> but you did, you've done the same thing to me, too. You know what? When you're doing what we do, and it shouldn't apply to a, a podcast because it isn't live. Right. But when you do what we do live, there is a lot of, while the other person's talking, all right, uh, I had this thought, and I'm looking, yes, and you're trying to figure it out. Yes, there's a lot yeah, of that. Yeah. You're trying to think of your next move. Well, it's it's the next move, but also sometimes you'll say something, and I'll be, and I'll be like, is that true? And I'll start looking it up <laughs> or try to look up something that you know will add to whatever it is you're saying. But anyway. You um, know, I, I'm telling you. I, is, is it going to end up in Landover? I don't know. I think so. Uh, and what's What's hilarious was... Snyder saying, I'll come if you legalize sports betting, and if you don't, I'll go to Virginia. They must have had a laugh over that one. Well, I mean, first of all, we're talking about a new stadium opening in 2027 at the earliest, and that's if they move quickly. Right. And they'll, they'll sports, probably sports be legalized be sports legal betting in Maryland, in Maryland by then. It, sure. It's probably going to be legalized it, it, on the like, ballot this yeah, year. Yeah, I mean, so what was he really trying to do? Yeah, from, I mean, I, mean, I think he's trying to flex – what muscles he thinks he has. Uh, whatever. Um, and, 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 you know, if it's saying going to Virginia, I'm sure they probably said, hey, have a good time. I think it is more interesting that he's now the, the new point person on this, if he wasn't before, if Bruce was. Well, and, part yeah. of the problem in the district is Jack Evans and Bruce Allen worked very closely together. Okay. I mean, they, they, that was, I mean, not that it was getting, it was, it was going to, you know, gain that much momentum. Right. But that was the basically the bridge. It was Jack Evans and Bruce Allen, and now both of them are gone. So it's it's a start over for him. So it doesn't surprise me that he's taken the point on this, because there is nobody obviously that could do it. And this is part of the problem: is nobody politically wants to stand on the stage with Dan Snyder and say, "Yeah, we're going to help them build a stadium." Now, when I talk about when everyone talks about building a stadium, nobody is talking about paying right, paying for a stadium. to build the stadium. It's, right. it's about the land. It's about the and and the, and the, and infrastructure. the infrastructure around it. It's yeah. like somebody just told me the other day, it's everything that's underground and everything that's above ground, the owner's going to have to pay well, for it, no are, matter where he goes. Also, you do have to talk about all of the development around the stadium, yes. retail, residential, etc. Yeah, but no one's no one's going to build a, a, a finance a stadium for Dan Snyder. He's going to have to pay for it. Is there enough room at that location to build a stadium and also keep FedEx Field up, the stadium up, and have them playing in that stadium while the new one's being built like the Meadowlands? I think I think they would have to make parking accommodations beyond what they have right? and create a shuttle system to move people back and forth on the temporary parking that would take place. But they have the space. Because one of my first thoughts was, if they build it there, where are they going to play for two years? But then somebody said, that there's enough room there yeah, to do I what the Meadowlands did. But, you know, as people started saying, well, you know, they could. I don't know if they could sell out Audi Field, but they certainly could play at Audi Field, um, 20,000 people. No, I, th- I think, yeah, 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 they could. You're right, they could. But I think they could build it right next to uh, Ghost Town Field there. And anyway, that's going to change <laughs> because, because Ron Rivera is here. Yes. So that, all that's going to change. It's going to change. And there was some news this morning, um, late yesterday, Barry's Verluga's column that I want to get to, uh, right after I tell you about stamps.com. Let's face it, most New Year's resolutions are hard to keep. Get more exercise, save more money. Well, 
I've got a resolution that's easy to keep. Stop going to the post office, especially if you're a small business and you're doing a lot of mailing. Stamps.com works and it saves you money. You can do anything with Stamps.com that you can do at the post office. You do it right from your computer. Plus, Stamps.com gives you something you can't get at the post office. Big time discounts on postage. First of all, it brings you all of the services Stamps.com does that the U.S. Postal Service offers right to your computer, whether you're a small office sending invoices, an online seller shipping out products, or even a warehouse sending thousands of packages a day. Stamps.com handles it all with ease. Simply use your computer to print official U.S. postage 24 hours a day, seven days a week for any letter, any package, any class of mail, anywhere you want to send it. You'll get five cents off every first class stamp. You'll get 40% off priority mail. Give yourself a New Year's resolution that you can actually keep. Stop going to the post office. Go to stamps.com instead. No risk. And with my promo code, KevinDC, you get a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and a digital scale with no long-term commitment or contract required. Stamps.com. Click on the microphone at the top of the homepage. Type in KevinDC. That's stamps.com promo code KevinDC. Now, let me tell you something. I listened to that. I know you did. Okay. You did. You're always very much in tune to our sponsors on this show. Uh, So Barry's Verluga wrote this column about how the whole Gibbs-Rivera thing came together. And I'll net it out. I'm going to read some of the quotes in the story. But the netting of it out is that, first of all, Gibbs and Rivera did not know each other prior to November, December time frame this year. They'd never had a conversation. Uh, Snyder reached out to Rivera first and Rivera called Gibbs and Gibbs invited him over and they had a long conversation and Gibbs basically did the nostalgic thing, you know, talking about how great the Redskins are, how great it can be, how great it can be, the Lombardi trophies, the fans and how into it they are. Um, he also talked about what it was like to work for Dan and I'll start it there. Um, he said, uh, to Rivera, What I tried to tell him is what it was like with Dan for me. Quote, Dan for me when it was free agency, it's 12.01 a.m. when the period legally opens. Dan's right by my side on the phone. Dan is very successful with agents. They want to talk to him. They know he'll make a deal. He's not afraid to spend money. And so I kind of tried to just give Rivera the real understanding of what it's like to work with Dan. Um... And he had said uh, earlier in the column, he said, we had four years together. It developed a real relationship because we went through a lot of highs and lows together, all the things that can go on for a coach and owner. We developed that friendship. So when we talk, it's mostly a common sense conversation. He would kind of relate to me what some of the some of the people that he was really interested in, and that led to Rivera. And then Rivera is the one that reached out to Gibbs. Um, but he said, look, when we talk, it's his friends. I'm not a paid consultant. I do think it's fair and applicable to this conversation just to remind everybody that Dan Snyder is a regular contributor to Joe Gibbs's big time charity, Youth for Tomorrow, and has been for a long time. Right. Um, and so I also think it's fair to say that Joe Gibbs's experience with Dan Snyder was far different than any other coach's experience. Both those things are correct. And so if Rivera just reached out to find out about what it was like to work for the Redskins and for Dan Snyder from Joe Gibbs, I think that was a mistake. 
I think he should have talked to a lot of other people. I would. And I'm not suggesting that he didn't. I do know that he did not reach out to Mike Shanahan. That you know, he did not I'm, have a conversation prior to taking the job with Mike. I don't know who his agent is, but it literally would be malpractice not to have given your client, you know, you should do this, you should talk to these people. Now, he can choose not to do it, but uh, there's no excuse for going into this job without your eyes open. There's more than enough information out there about what it's really like. And it's it's not all it's not all made up stuff. It's it's re, it's the same it's the same stuff. Save for Gibbs, save for this little oasis of of uh, non turmoil. It's all pretty much the same. So there's no I mean there's no excuse for for Rivera to have taken this job and be surprised at anything he'll have to deal with down the line. I would assume that one of the conversations he had was with Norv Turner at some point, don't you think? Yeah. But Norv Turner's experience with the owner was not a good one, but it could also be chalked up to he was a new owner and he was 34 years old. Right. But, but I mean, you see, the next step in that would be he's matured since then, but he hasn't. Right. He hasn't gotten better. He may be different, but, but the issues are still the same. Like North Turner, North's experience was right. It was a small window, you know. It wasn't that, and, and you know, he was that was his first time as the owner. Look, I I don't know what North told Ron Rivera. Uh, you know, I, well, I t- obviously North told his son that you know. You're, well, I you're think North Nor- told his son that because, Ron because Ron's there. Ron will protect you, and if you want to be a head coach, this is the quickest way to do it. An offensive coordinator job and and if you're good at it, if 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 the team is good for a couple of years in three years you'll be a head coach right so that, that that's the path to do it so there's another there's just another part of it by the way Gibbs also said that he had never he didn't have any conversations about Bruce Allen with Dan Snyder um he said all of the conversations have been about coaching essentially um that was just an added thing um so one of the things that I think is just interesting to sort of just think about is if as a fan which I am and you're not like what do I think about Joe Gibbs having so much influence at this point he's 79 years old he's been out of football since 2007 so 12 years you know out of it um he you know waxed nostalgic and very wistful in 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 his conversation with Ron Rivera about all of the glory days which are now so long ago that you know, it's not unusual anymore to have conversations with people who say, really, they were good. Like, yeah. you know, a lot of people, I mean, a lot of younger people. And I, um, and that his experience was probably far different than every other coach's experience that was here. You know, how do, how do Redskin fans, how should they feel about that? My personal view is Joe's a winner, and Joe's biggest strength over the course of a long period of time, professionally, in two different sports where he is a Hall of Famer in both of them. And he's always said this, is picking people. He's always been really good at identifying the kind of people that can contribute to a winning organization. And so that, from that standpoint, whether he's clueless as to how it is now, which he might be a little bit as to how people really feel about the team now and how bad it's really gotten and what Dan really is and has been with other people. I bet you he's not completely naive to what it's been like with other coaches. He can't be. He can't be. Um, but 
With all that said, it doesn't mean that Joe Gibbs is going to pick a bad person, that he's going to he's going to suggest a person that isn't going to be, you know, a, a guy that can win somewhere anyway, hopefully here. I mean, I still want Joe Gibbs if he's willing to give advice to the owner. The owner doesn't have anybody else. It's the one thing we've learned about Snyder when it comes to football, you know, advisors. There are not a lot of people apparently he's very close with. No. And if Gibbs is there, it's not a bad outlet. It's not a bad sounding board. If I'm a Redskins fan, I'm happy about Joe Gibbs being a, a, a Dan Snyder confidant at this point. It's better than the alternatives. Uh, completely agree. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, if because I'm a one of those confidants fan, how, has been Bruce Allen. Right. However flawed Joe's thinking may be, sometimes in in his perception of what the team is like now. I'd want Joe Gibbs to be part of that. You know, by all by all rights, Joe Gibbs should own the team. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, uh him and Sam Grossman were two of the bitters back in that thing and he got it's funny, he got beat out by Snyder and now he's 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 one of Snyder's confidants. What do you think that relationship really is? Snyder and Gibbs? Uh I think it I think it's good. I think I think I I think it's as good as it can get for Dan Snyder. I think, I mean, look, again, if Dan Snyder didn't own the Redskins, no matter how rich he is, most people wouldn't care less about him. And, you know, I mean, I just think it's been beneficial for Joe Gibbs to have Dan Snyder uh, as a friend. What do you think he really and truly believes about what kind of owner Dan Snyder is? Because you can be friends and think, you know, think highly of him as a person. What do you think he really thinks of him as an owner? I mean, Joe knows a winner from a loser. Yeah, that's a tough one. It's hard. It's hard for me to think that Joe. You'll never get it out of Joe. No, ever. It's no. not what he does. No, it's hard for it's hard for any. It's hard for me to think anybody as smart as I think Joe Gibbs is to think that Dan Snyder's a good owner under any circumstances. Now, he talked about free agency. Now, that was the first time Joe experienced real free agency. Right. So he was like a kid in the candy store. You know? Yeah, he got sold a bill of goods by Vinny and Dan about how much, look at how much fun this is. Yes. I mean, mean, let's go get out of Marcelletta. Yeah. You know, he was thinking about the days of Plan B free agency Uh, and and all that. And uh, so I I think, you know, initially it was influenced by the fact that, uh, wow, I can go out and get whatever player I want, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, one of the reasons, I mean, it was health-related in 1993, in, Jan- you know, in March of 93 when he left football, um, but it was also a, a changing day, too, in football. Yes, Free it was. agency um, was in its infancy, and the Redskins had an older team, and it wasn't, they weren't going to have a hell of a lot of salary cap space no. in the new salary cap era. So he got out just in time, although – you know, Joe would have figured it out. I mean, well, you know, the thing is, if Joe would have stayed, maybe Reggie White would have signed here with Washington. Yeah, maybe God would have told Reggie to sign in Washington. You know, and that could have been a game changer right there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, because it was the it was the yeah. Redskins or the Packers. It was, and he came very close to playing in Washington, but he wound up picking Green Bay. It's ironic for Reggie White. God bless his soul. He went on to work with Joe Snyder, uh, Joe sure Joe Gibbs. Gibbs. On his racing team, Reggie created his own little racing team within Joe Gibbs Racing for minority drivers. Really? I met Reggie White. I went down to Joe Gibbs Racing once and did a story 
about Reggie White trying to create this, you know, minority driving program through Joe Gibbs. I spent the day with Reggie White and what a fantastic, charismatic human being he was. Absolutely great to be around. Think about that. In 93, it was either the Redskins or the Packers. The Packers were the bad franchise, and yes. the Redskins were the, yeah. the big brand, uh, great franchise. And Washington Washington was still Chocolate City. And yeah. Green Bay was, was, was Green Bay. Green Bay. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. But Reggie picked I mean, the Packers. Big night on the town. You had to go a little south to Appleton. Yeah. Um, so is it south? I don't even know if it's south of Green Bay. I don't know. I just you, know pr- Gre- you probably you probably sold groceries there. No, I've been to Green Bay before. It I've was, never been to Green Bay. It was Super Value, I think it was. Um, they were a big grocery wholesaler. But um, I remember I have not. That was the only time I've ever been to Green Bay. Never been to a Packers game at Lambeau. But Green Bay is right. It's like just north of it is green is water, right? It's, I don't know. So I, Appleton must either be no, east or what's west. What's the map on your Can't wall say? I don't know. Anyway, uh, so and it, Kevin still has nothing on his walls here no, I don't. in this studio. Not a thing. In other words, like if Kevin had to leave town tomorrow because Interpol was looking for him, <laughs> there's nothing here in the studio <laughs> for that, 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 that would indicate that he existed. Yeah, mybookie.ag's out. Except the, except the bobbleheads that I brought in. Right. Yeah, we had somebody snooping around here the other day. I don't know what they were doing, but. Uh, I'll, I'm, I'm good. I got it. I got it. Just give me a couple weeks and maybe a, a few more weeks of, of playing some college basketball games. Let me get through the Super Bowl if that's okay with you. Um, so Jason Lockenfora, who I know you like, and I like Jason too. And gets an unbelievably bad rap from Redskins fans. I think so too. Because he was the first guy. He was the first to basically take expose the Redskins for what they were. Trust me when I tell you, be, the post coverage before Jason Lockenfora was 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 in Dan Snyder's pocket. Yep. Yeah, he was an excellent beat reporter when he covered the team and broke stories. And you know they've had a couple of them since. I think Mike Jones was excellent. And let's um, just remember uh, when you think when you're ready to, to crucify Jason Lockenfora because you don't think he's a good reporter. Two, uh, one name, Trent Williams. Yeah, he had that one. Um, so he put out this story yesterday projecting the 32 opening day starters for NFL teams in, in next September in 2020. And for the Redskins, he said that Derek Carr is going to be wow. the starting quarterback. Wow. He well, said, when Tom Brady signs with the Raiders, what's Derek Carr going to do? Well, actually, he's got Brady going to the Chargers, okay. Phillip Rivers going to the Buccaneers, Jameis Winston to the Raiders, Derek Carr to the Redskins, and Teddy Bridgewater to the Patriots. So those are the five key teams he's got involved. That's pretty nervy. <clears throat> that That's he, a pretty nervy call. That he calls the Brady effect. You know, the immediate impact, five teams, the Chargers are going to sign Brady. Now this is, you know, this is a January week, you know, the the week without football. Yes. Got to come up with some content. Um, but so I'll, I'll read you what he wrote, but I'll, I'll tell you why I wanted to bring it up because I don't think Derek Carr will be the quarterback here, uh, the starting Neither quarterback do I. Here in 2020. But he writes, owner Dan Snyder loves first round pick Dwayne Haskins, but new coach Ron Rivera, who has extensive power, has already publicly hedged his bets. I don't know if he's really hedged his bets. He just hasn't. He hasn't said, doubled down. He has not doubled down. He has not doubled down. But that more, doesn't mean more that than he's backing hedged. off. He has not. Embraced. Uh, hedging would be to say, yeah, we're looking at a couple of other veterans. We've got a couple of other options here. And he hasn't really said that. 
Rivera's first hire, Lock and Fora writes, defensive coordinator Jack Del Rio is a champion of cars, and they went to the playoffs together with Carr, an MVP candidate that year before his before he broke his leg. Remember? Right, yeah. And then they lost the playoff game. I forget who started that game at quarterback for the Raiders, but they lost at Houston. Um, Alex Smith is still costing $19 million, but Snyder could restructure Carr's deal easily to bring his 2020 cap hit down to like $7 million, and it's a long shot that Smith ever plays again. Carr's contract is cheap enough to flip again down the road if need be. The first thing about this, if we're going to have a conversation about you know what the Redskins are going to do at quarterback, is to say and to presume that Alex Smith isn't going to be a quarterback on this roster next year, that he's not going to be able to play in 2020. I think that's a fair bet or a fair assumption. I think that's the way you have to operate. I think you do. Now, you know, who knows? Like I was saying today on on the radio show, there's a lot that's going to happen here. This is actually going to be a very interesting offseason. There's a lot of big decisions. And now that you've got some adults in the building, it'll be interesting to see where they come down on a lot of these things. So on the quarterback front, if you don't have Alex Smith as a quarterback option next year, you have to sign a quarterback. They only have one under contract then. In, right. Now, they'll have two under contract with Alex Smith, but if he can't play, they only have one that can play, and that's Dwayne Haskins. So at the very least, you need a cheap backup, and I would assume that's going to be a veteran backup of some sorts. But what if they do go out and sign a veteran that, you know, you could perceive coming in has a chance to win the job. What if they did sign Derek Carr or Teddy Bridgewater or Ryan Fitzpatrick or, you know, somebody that you, you would you would think, ah, oh, that's not Chase Daniel. That's not re-signing Case Keenum. That's a guy that actually has a chance to start. I had this guy, Chad Forbes, who actually was excellent. Aaron, I think I told you about him the other day on the radio show. He... Um, is basically an NFL analyst. He's he, on Twitter. It's NFL Draft Bites. He does a lot on the draft and free agency in particular. And he said his guess was that the Redskins are going to go after somebody like Teddy Bridgewater that to come in to be the backup at the very least, but to provide some stiff competition. And I said, well, Br- won't Bridgewater get an opportunity to start? And at, it, you know, worst case, won't he just stay in New Orleans until Breeze leaves? And he, you know, he mentioned Taysom Hill and some of the other options. Um, but what are they going to do a quarterback? Like I I think Dwayne Haskins if you made me bet right now, I would bet I would say there's a an 80% chance that Haskins is the opening day starter in 2020. But I don't know what they think about him. I'm talking about the new people. I have no what, idea what they think about him. What do you think the most important thing is that Ron Rivera has to do to be successful with the Redskins? I'm going to answer that question for you. Go ahead. He has to be able to hold off the owner. That's the there, There's no success without that. If they go into next season with a quarterback other than Dwayne Haskins, that would be the greatest sign that he has held off the owner. No doubt. Yeah. That, that would be... Now, how long he can hold him off depends on how successful... Ron Rivera would be. I mean, if you do that, then you better win, you know, because then it'll come back to bite you. But if if there's a starting quarterback other than Dwayne Haskins uh, for opening day next year, then you should feel good about Ron Rivera's power 
in that building. Right. Now, whether or not he's right or not, That's time, will, time will tell. But I, I'm totally with you. I actually think we've sort of seen some indication already. That would be the biggest. The biggest. But no Kevin O'Connell, no Eric Schaefer, no Larry Hess, no Bruce Allen. I mean, I think Bruce Allen was gone anyway, but he certainly had to go once Ron Rivera became a possibility. Yes. He's not going to take the job with Bruce here. So we've already seen some of what Ron Rivera, you know, uh, has. Um, you know, I mean, it's basically Carolina North. It is at this point coach centric. We yeah. know one voice, one decision. Yeah, at least as yeah. as of now. Although you did see the story right from uh, from JP Finley the other day that that Dan interviewed Scott Turner. Did we talk about that on the podcast Tuesday or not? No. The part of uh, who Scott Turner interviewed with was Dan Snyder. You didn't really? see that? No. Oh, look, I knew that would get your. You you fired up a little bit, but Ron Rivera was in on the interview, right? Well, I think Rivera spoke to him, and then and then Turner met with Dan Snyder. I too. don't find that on uh, okay, good. I don't I find don't, that a problem. I didn't really think it was that much okay. of an issue either. Yeah, I mean, for all we know, it was hey, how's your dad doing? How's your I mom remember doing? you how's... when you were running around here and ignore all the curse words I used on your father when he was here. Yeah. You know, um, remember your father's friend, Mike Nolan, and that story about the vanilla ice cream? Actually, I went in, put some hot fudge on it, and Mike and I sat down and ate it. Actually, I was leaving the ice cream for you, kid. <laughs> yeah. I knew yeah, you I liked you, ice cream. I, I knew you were hanging out with Uncle Mike. Um, so, no, I don't have a problem with that. Yeah. So the the quarterback thing, it's gonna. you're right. It's going to be really interesting. And I mean, part of me really thinks that it would be best to bring in somebody that could compete with Dwayne Haskins. I think he's a competitor. I, I mean, I think the best case would be for Dwayne Haskins to feel like they're bringing in somebody to compete you know, you, with him and for him to beat him out. You say that he's a competitor, but the biggest complaint about him at the beginning of the year was that he didn't work hard enough, he didn't study hard enough, uh, all this. Yeah. How, you can't be a competitor and have those qualities. From whom? What who'd do you, you mean? Who would you hear that from? Who did we hear that from? Yeah, I mean, we heard he, that from the coaching staff that was there. Yeah, the coaching staff that isn't there anymore. Right. Yeah. Oh, oh, do you think they made it up? I just think a lot of that stuff was really overblown. I, I think that... Th the players themselves said the, the same the player, thing. The, Adrian Peterson... It, it was not a work ethic thing. That's not that's not the right way to, to put it. It's he that didn't study. He didn't know how, and no one was really helping him to teach him on how to prepare. And yes, as really? a backup, he was You mean Doug Williams wouldn't help Dwayne Haskins prepare? Please. You know what? I saw a kid at the end of the year that had progressed significantly and whose coaches and teammates were saying had really, yes, really been coachable. But don't make and him out to be this competitive, fiery no, guy. He is a competitive, ah, fiery he's a, guy. He's a no, he is. He, ah, he he's is. just showy. That's no, all. No, he's not. He's oh, a, please. I mean, look, you can be competitive, and part of your competitiveness can be pissed off over not starting. You and then, and and what do you do when you're competitive? Well, and you're pissed you, off. You, you work harder. You should work harder and go out and earn it. And ultimately, he did, and he played pretty well. Oh, he didn't earn it. Now, one of the things Jay said was that he wanted him to earn it. You know what the bottom line is with that all year long? They totally over overestimated how un how ready he was, uh, how unready he was. He was much more ready to go than they ever thought he was. It was stupid not to put him out there earlier. Stupid. Well, um, again, you can't. It, it it doesn't make sense to claim the guy's competitive when, when I think he's competitive. Well, that doesn't add up. It's a, you can be competitive and, and, and immature. 
Yeah, but but immaturity does not mean uh, I'm not I'm not going to study. I'm 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 not going to Imma- pay attention. Immaturity is not recognizing at what level you need to be prepared for for a game. Okay. No one said that he just wasn't working at all. By the way, Scott Turner's comments. Yeah. In 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 his conference you, you, call, you told me what you felt about those. Yeah. The other day, first guy, you can't be yeah. the last guy right. in the building Given and a, the first guy to leave. Right. I think he was talking about Cam Newton. Oh yeah, yeah that's rich. <laughs> I think he was talking about his experience overall and essentially saying a young quarterback's got to be that, and he's probably giving a bit of a warning. You know, you said you, you said you were going to cut down on the sugar. I suggest starting with the Kool-Aid. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not buying into it totally. I just, I'm more optimistic than you and Haskins. There are things there that I like about him. I'm not going to change my mind until I change my mind, <laughs> until I see something that changes my mind. And I don't care but what you last, say. Last year at this time, I was like, please do not draft Dwayne Haskins. I didn't think he was going to be a good pro quarterback. Watched him, saw him, and now I think there's a chance he will be a good quarterback. Okay. Am I not allowed to change my mind? No, you're allowed to Can change Can I change it. my you know mind in, it's, in it's, October it's... next year and say, you know what, God damn it, it was that taking the selfies. I knew it when I saw him take those selfies. Well, when you change your mind, though, you have to pay the Levero price. I don't care. Okay. I'll pay the price. All right. You're the one that claims, I'm not changing my mind. This is what I've said all along. <laughs> That's what you do all the time. You don't remember anything. You know why? You're not hydrating well and you're not sleeping enough. <laughs> I know. I know, and I'm not reading enough books. 50 books a year. Who reads 50 books a year? I what, what's the most books in a year you've ever read? Oh, I've never read 50 books in a year. I mean, I've never done that. Now, he, Look, I know people who do. I have a sister-in-law who I'll bet you reads 100 books a year. I mean, she reads all the time. I'm not asking about your sister-in-law. What's the most books you've ever read in a year? I don't know. Were you 10, a, were you 11? ever were you ever a big reader? Yeah. Oh, when I was a kid? Oh my god, yeah. Yeah, I would imagine since you're a writer and a longtime columnist that you probably were a big time reader. We we lived 4 blocks from the Brooklyn Public Library and I read every baseball biography they had. <laughs> every single one. I remember reading all the football books and all the football biographies. When, in, in the school and remember, library. Remember the and the NFL used to put them out. And remember the Scholastic Book Club? Yeah. I used to order so many sports books from the Scholastic Book Club because you could get away with it because your parents would say, well, he wants a book. Yeah. You know, it's not like he wants to go down and, and buy heroin on the street corner. He wants a book. Right. How many of your friends were buying heroin on the street corner in 1948? <laughs> 1948. In between stickball games. You'd be shocked. <laughs> Uh, all right. Uh, you want to talk about Eli Manning real quickly? No. Well, let's do it anyway. All right. Uh, he's a Hall of Famer. Is he? Okay. Two things. <laughs> is he going to be in the hall in the Hall of Fame? Yes. Yes. Should he be in the Hall of Fame? Yes. Why? He's a, he's a, he, here's the list of Super Bowl MVPs who have won more than Eli Manning have. Tom Brady, uh, and uh, who's the other one? There's two of them. Ben Roethlisberger? No. This what, only, what was the question? The did, question is, what? how many players have won more than two Super Bowl MVPs? It's Montana and Brady. That's it. Okay? Eli has two Super Bowl MVPs. Right. He's seventh all-time in touchdown passes as he's retired. Uh, he is a Hall of Famer. He, sh- he will be in the Hall of Fame, and he should be in the Hall of Fame. Look. In recent years, 
Jerome Bettis, Terrell Davis. Um, you know, there's multiple examples of guys that to me weren't like obvious Hall of Fame guys and they ended up in the Hall of Fame. First of all, he will be in the Hall of Fame. Played in New York, won two Super Bowls, won two Super Bowl MVPs, seventh all-time in NFL history in passing yards, you know, and, and a lot of other things. He's a New Yorker. He's a Manning. He's got two Super Bowl MVPs. Um, played big-time clutch football on the way to those Super Bowls as well. You know, the defensive teams in both 2007 and 2011, but he was really good in the postseason in many of those games. He's going to be in the Hall of Fame. Should he be in the Hall of Fame? I mean, I think it's I think it's a reasonable debate. There are, you know, a, a guy, quarterbacks for whatever reason, and I don't subscribe to this necessarily, but they get really... They get evaluated on wins and losses. He's a 500 career quarterback, and the only two postseasons that he ever did anything were those two postseasons. Those are big postseasons. Yes, you know, there's a really important postseason. Good time to show up. Yeah, it's a hell of a time to show up. Um, I've all, I remember certainly taking all of the numbers out of it. I remember years, you know, and I'm not talking about one or two. And I'm not talking about the two Super Bowl years either. I'm talking about a, you know several seasons where in watching Eli Manning play, I would say to myself, he's a top five, top six, top seven quarterback in the game. Like he's a top ten quarterback in the NFL. You know, there were years at the end of last decade, the beginning of this decade, where he played at a very high level. Yeah. You know, and and I would think he's a really good quarterback. Really good quarterback. But um, you know, uh, Ultimately, you know, you you have a guy that basically had two postseasons that were memorable, and the rest of his career is not even really close to Hall of Fame worthy. I know, you know, but uh, I think it's debatable. I'm fine with him going in. I'm not against him going in. He, but he will go in. Yes, like to me, it's 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 a debate. But you know, people that say, well, the the, the two Super Bowl years were just. Um, we're just about the giant defense. That's not true. He had big time drives against the Cowboys, against the Packers, and against the Patriots yeah. in the Super Bowl in the in the 2007 season, including the game winner to Burris, the year that they uh, beat the Packers at Lambeau again, and then won in overtime against the Giants at Candlestick um, to win that NFC Championship game, and again another late come from behind game against New England in that Super Bowl that they won 21 to 17. They're down 17. Going into the fourth quarter, and they need a drive. So he was a he came up with clutch moments in the postseason. I agree. There's no doubt about that. Um, it was not all about you know their pass rush, which was awesome. They had a great pass rush with Pierre Paul and with Tuck and and all of them Strahan, you know. Um, but uh, but but Eli really played well in the postseason when they were in it in those two Super Bowl years. The other years, okay, you know, he only he only went to the playoffs. Um, in, in his long career, 16-year career, he only went to the playoffs six total times. And the right. other four visits were one-and-donners, you know, in and out. Uh, no wins. All of his postseason wins came in the two Super Bowl runs. But those were really good runs. Yeah. So why doesn't Jim Plunkett get credit for that? His career numbers aren't nearly as, as, as strong. Yeah, but he had two decent Super Bowl runs. I know that, but his... But Eli's career numbers, you could argue, they are in a in a different era. Yeah, I mean, but but they're among the best. I mean, they're right up, they're right behind Philip Rivers in terms of touchdowns and yards. So, uh, I mean, Jim Plunkett's career numbers just do not add up. 
Jim Plunkett, um, the year that the Raiders won it in 1981, uh, as a wild card team, by the way, um, threw uh, seven touchdowns and two interceptions in the postseason when they beat the Eagles that year. Right. I think that game was in the Superdome uh, in New Orleans to win it, that Super Bowl. Yes, it was. And then the year that they beat the Redskins in Super Bowl eighteen. Um, his numbers weren't nearly as good, and they blew out all three opponents. The year that they won it in 1981, um, they played multiple close playoff games where he played pretty well. But, you know, when you start comparing, like, yards and completion percentages, it was just a completely different day back then. Yes, it was. But he had some big-time plays in some of those games. Oh, yeah. But you remember the Super Bowl win over the Redskins for the Raiders' defense, their corners in particular, Haynes right. and Hayes, and for Marcus Allen. Yes. I and mean, that's really what you remember that Super Bowl for. And the Redskins getting absolutely pounded as a, as a favorite that year with one of the great offenses the NFL had seen yeah. at that time. All right, what else? That's it. That's it for me, too. Uh, have a great day. Back tomorrow.